Hey girl, welcome to the Empower Her podcast, where we are all about taking purpose-driven action toward building lives we really freaking love. My name's Keisha, and I'm a saucy 29-year-old who left the corporate world to go on to build a seven-figure online business. But most days, I still feel like I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm obsessed with the process of us getting to figure it out together. We've got epic guests, incredible stories, tips, and tricks to help us get out of our own way and unapologetically make some moves. So girlfriend, let's do the damn thing. Hey girl, I'm so excited that you're here today because on the show we have Kara Lowenthal. And let me just tell you, this woman is a New Yorker. She is saucy and full of life. And I will disclaimer that she does use a couple of F-bombs just because she's freaking awesome. So if you have small kids in the car, I would just give you a heads up on that. But what's cool about her story is she's now a certified life coach with a seven-figure business. But three years ago, she was literally working in the legal field. She got her BA from Yale and she went on to Harvard Law. So she took a major pivot that we talk about in today's episode, which I think is going to be really powerful for anyone that is trying to kind of figure out what their path is. And she is real talk. She's a feminist through and through, but she also is really a firm believer in cognitive psychology based techniques, not just like waiting for things to fall into your lap. And she gives a lot of really tangible takeaways, whether you're in the corporate world or you're just a female trying to find your place or what society's standards are on us. And it's just going to be really helpful. She also has a top rated podcast that is called Un-F your brain, literally, but she uses the actual word. Um, And she's been featured on a ton of media outlets like Above the Law and the Huffington Post. And she's just got some really amazing ways that we can get out of our own damn way, which I know is what we're all about on this show. So without further ado, let's just dive right in, girl. Kara, I'm so excited that you're here. Welcome to the show, girl. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. It's going to be so much fun. I'm really excited for the audience to hear from you because you're saucy and you're educated and ambitious and you're real talk. You're like the best friend that everybody needs, just like chirping in their ear, telling them how to get out of their own damn way. (laughs) So we're going to put you in their ear, whether they're in Trader Joe's or driving to work or wherever they are. So um, before we dive into talking about a lot of the elements that you teach and train on at this stage in your career, I would actually love if you can take us back to kind of your education and the path that you've started to chart that's a little bit different than what people would maybe expect if they met you today. So yeah, for take, sure. take us back a little bit. <laughs> I was born and bred. No, um, I, I grew up in Baltimore to New Yorker parents who were like expats. They were like, we're in a foreign land. Don't make friends with the locals. <laughs> Um, and like a very high achieving Jewish family, you know, some of the stereotypes are true. So it's like, you could be a lawyer or a doctor. Those were kind of the two acceptable career paths. Yeah. Even though hilariously, I mean, my mother is a lawyer. My father's an entrepreneur, but anyway, so I like went to all the fancy schools. I went to Yale for undergrad and I have always, the one thing that's been always the same is I've always been a professional feminist, as I like to say, in one form or another. Yeah. So originally that was in the reproductive rights movement. So I... Went to law school because much like a Jewish family in the reproductive rights movement, it's like lawyers and doctors. Those are kind of the, if you're going to get a graduate degree, those are the two things that people do. Yeah. Um, And so I went to law school in order to be a reproductive rights litigator, meaning like the person who 
takes the government to court if it's, you know, blocking people's access to contraception or abortion. And so that's what I did. And I went to law school um, at Harvard and I clerked for a federal court judge. And then I got like the dream job that I've been trying to get for 10 years. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's weird. It didn't miraculously change all my thoughts and feelings about myself. Like I was real sure <laughs> once yeah. I got that job, I was going to feel amazing about myself. This is strange. Um, and like so, you'd so arrive think, and it would just be like rainbows and butterflies right, everywhere. Right? That's what we all think. We're <laughs> right? like chasing the gold, the brass star, the brass stars, the gold stars, the brass rings. There yeah. we go. Right? But like we're always chasing that external thing, thinking that's going to make us happy. And we don't learn too quickly. So you'd think I would have learned like, okay, well, you got into Harvard and you didn't feel that way. And then you got to, you know, your listeners aren't lawyers probably, but like getting a judicial clerkship is very difficult. I was like, okay, you got that. You still didn't feel that way. So, but our brains are so committed to the story that if we just get the thing, we're going to feel better. So every time it doesn't work, the brain is just like, well, I don't think there's a problem with this theory. We just had the wrong thing identified. Let's just pick a different thing. And once we get that, we'll be happy. So Mm -hmm. I think getting that job and being like, oh, I still don't feel confident. I still don't really, you know, like myself. And I didn't like the job either. Of course, if those are your thoughts, it's not, nothing is fun. Right. So that is sort of when I started getting into coaching. Um, And it's actually, it was really funny because my first coach was a lovely person, but she worked for this group in New York whose method is like the opposite of what I do. So their method is basically like you decide on a goal, you something you want to start doing or stop doing, and then you create like a punishment and reward system for yourself. Like, well, if I like smoke a cigarette, then I have to throw $5 out the window. And I was just always like, is this for stupid people? Like what? I could just smoke the cigarette and not throw the $5 out the window because I'm not <laughs> four years old, right? Or a dog. Yeah. Like I understand, you know? So it was like so unhelpful, but it kind of led me into like being curious about, okay, well, that does not work. And that's also like, that's how we all try to live our lives anyway, right? We're like, well, I'll yell at myself or promise myself a reward. Like if that worked already, people wouldn't need a life coach. Yeah. But it led me into like exploring that world more. And eventually I found the kind of work I do now, which I was like, holy shit, this explains it, which is that you're thinking is what's creating what you're doing. And that's what you have to change. You can't just like bribe and punish yourself like you're a Pavlovian experiment. You have to yeah. understand what your thought, your thoughts are creating your lack of confidence or your desire to smoke or like whatever it is. And that's what you have to understand and change. And so then when I discovered that, I was like, oh my God, this is the, this is like the secret to life. It's the missing piece. Everything makes sense now. Yeah. And uh, the rest is history. Wow. So I love the overarching just kind of like breakdown of how that all progressed. But what I'm also curious about is what was that transition like when you kind of realized, wait a second, I'm here, you look around, you're like, this didn't actually make me happy. And now I want to pivot to something that's very different from even your education. Like, what did that actually feel like when you were in it to the girl that's listening to this that is feeling like I feel a pivot coming on, but I'm really freaking scared. Okay. Yeah, so you should feel like you want to throw up. That's normal. <laughs> yes. That's what I would say. Like my coaching colleague, Brenda Lomelli, who's an amazing coach, her podcast, I think it's called The Last Five Pounds. She's a weight loss coach, which is funny because I don't teach weight loss. But yeah. Um, but uh, we call it Barf Club, which is like when you set a big goal, like we're all like, oh, I'm, I don't feel ready to do the thing yet. Like I'm going to wait till I feel great about it. Yep. And we're like, that day is never coming. Yep. Like. You're gonna. It should feel like you're dying. That's what it should feel like. So, if it feels like you're dying, you're doing it right. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, it came on in stages. Like, so 
I had gotten that litigation job and I still didn't love it, but I still didn't totally understand what the problem was yet. So I was like, oh, maybe I'll become an academic. So I had switched to being an academic. And then, you know, it's funny because in my mind, I didn't go looking for this work to become a coach. I just was like trying to not feel so crazy. Yeah. I found my, my teacher's work and I actually didn't pay her a dime until I got certified as a coach. I just listened to her podcast and applied it to my life. And I know my podcast listeners do that too. Yeah. And it really changed a lot for me. And then it felt like waking up with a revelation. Like I woke up one weekend and was like, I'm going to be a life coach and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. what's, the real, what's really fascinating to me is that maybe like six months later, I was in California and seeing a friend that I don't see that often and I'm terrible keeping in touch. So it's just like, I see you and I'm like, here's all these new things that have happened that you have no idea about. Yeah. I was like, crazy news, right? Like I'm quitting the law to become a life coach. And she was like, you've been talking about that for years. Interesting. And I was like, what? No, I haven't. Like, are you kidding? This was like so hard. I almost threw up just talking about it. And she's <laughs> like, you're always saying like, someday I'm going to quit. I'm going to move to Costa Rica and become a life coach. And I was like, oh my God, I have been saying that for 10 years. There was like this secret desire, but it was like my brain so couldn't contemplate that as an option that it was like coming out at sideways as a joke. It turns out I do not want to move to Costa Rica. That part was not (laughs) true. I hate humidity, but the life coach part. So that was like fascinating to me. I was like, oh, it's so interesting. Like people who are, you know, like in your life see that you've been just talking about this for a long time and you haven't done it. Yeah. Um, and it's really like when I look back on it, all of, I used to think like, for instance, I used to have all these thoughts about the kind of job I wanted to have. And I was like, but that doesn't exist. Like I would be like, I just want to be like a public intellectual. Like why can't the New York times just call me and ask me for my opinion about things? Yeah. And like the New York times is not called yet, but basically now what I do is just get paid to talk to people about my ideas and I don't have to do any research. I mean, I do research on like the brain and myself, but it's not, but like, I always thought if I wanted to be that kind of person, I had to have by research, I mean, you know, like a scholarly book with 600 footnotes and like I had to become, yeah. you know, like a chair of constitutional law or like whatever, like I thought that was how. So all these funny things of like, I always wanted a big, like I really get off on the energy of like speaking to big groups. I always mm-hmm. wanted to do that. I always wanted to be like someone who, who's a, who's sort of, sharing their ideas and thoughts about the world and society was their job, but I didn't see ways of that happening. And it's just funny to see how they've all come together in being a coach. Yeah. From just staying the course and kind of doing what felt right. Right. Which I think a lot of times people are really scared to do that. Um, because what if it doesn't work out is what they're asking themselves. But what if it does? Because look at, look at your right. career now. Right? But also what does it mean for something to feel right? You know, yeah. like I see a lot of like the way that the kind of coaching the work I offer is yeah. like the opposite of what a lot of life, a lot of life coaches teach. Like you just want to do what feels easy and aligned. Right. And I'm just, and I'm like, no, that's not how, what human growth feels like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You have like a primitive brain that you share with lizards that is screaming at you to get back in the cave. Like yeah. at all times. So if you only do what feels a lot, I always like, there's only 37 seconds of the week that like your blood sugar's aligned. You're not freaking out. You're not like, you can't, build a dream based on like only operating in the few moments yep. that nothing feels scary or unsettling. That's like not how it works. Yeah. No, I I love that you said that too. I actually just recently did an episode about how I don't think you can build a business if you just do things when it feels comfortable. Right. And um your business will be seven dollars. That's right. what you will or or zero. Like or, or negative. Zero. Maybe not even seven. <laughs> so can we actually break down like the framework of what you teach? Because I do think it's really unique and it's very yeah. in line with what this podcast is about in terms of like tangible action steps rather than just like, oh, I feel good and I'm inspired the whole point and premise of this podcast is 
helping people take action. So let's yeah. talk about kind of the social conditioning aspect as well as like it, the critical self-talk that, you know, the kind of pillars of what you teach and break, yeah, it, break it down for us. Yeah. So what I teach is that, well, I would say like the central framework is that your thoughts create your reality, but not in a like vibrational of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Way. yeah. Like, when people talk about manifesting, I think this is what they're really talking about, which is if they're smart, which is your thoughts create feelings. So what I teach is that your thoughts are sentences in your mind. Like I'm not good at this. That creates a feeling, mm-hmm. right? Of like insecurity or anxiety. When you feel a certain way, you act a certain way. So if you think I'm not good at this and you feel anxious, mm-hmm. your action is usually to like get on Facebook or eat a cookie or procrastinate or avoid, right? Yeah. And so you, the result you create for yourself is you're still not a, good at it. You're not, well, it's possible you were good at it and just being mean to yourself, but you're certainly not getting any better at it and you're not actually doing it, right? Because you're avoiding it. Right. So this is one example, right? But the idea is that your thoughts create your feelings and your feelings drive your actions. Right. And then your actions produce your life, Right. And so that's how the, to me, that's like a law of like gravity. Like that's how the universe works. Like we didn't invent it. We're just describing it. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. And then where most people are stuck is that they don't understand that their thoughts aren't true or are optional. Yeah. And so what I teach is that most of us just assume if you think something, you're thinking it because it's true. Our brains are like very self-satisfied and sure that they're brilliant, right? Your brains Mm -hmm. are just like, I had that thought. It must be true. Like, why else would I think it? Yeah. But really, there's like two big reasons you would think something that aren't true. Maybe three. One is that there's a lot of evolutionary biology at play, right? Like, we all evolved from lizards, right? We all evolved from like small animals whose whole goal was like, don't get eaten. Like, stay safe, reproduce, don't get eaten, right? Mm -hmm. Like, eat, sleep, stay in the cave. So yeah. <laughs> we have that programming that makes it hard to go do scary things because your brain literally thinks you're going to die. Yeah. And then, so I think all humans have that. And then you layer on top of that all the socialization we get that teaches us, like, you know, what is society? It's just a, it's a group of people who live in the same place and who share certain beliefs. Like we've all agreed to think this is how the world works. And yeah. we have some diversity of opinions in our society, obviously, but socialization is you just get taught to think things like work is good and people should be polite and like whatever else, right? All the thoughts you have about what the world is like and how it should be. And for women, there's like a whole subset of that, which is about what you should be like as a woman and what's important about you, right? And like Mm -hmm. valuing how you look over how you feel and valuing other people's opinions or feelings over your own and like all of the self, basically women are just taught to be super self-critical, right? Right. And so- Sometimes I like to describe the brain as like an open source program. It's like anybody can be typing in there and you don't even know. And then you think the thought and you think it's your real thought, right? So when you think I'm not good at this, your brain doesn't say like, well, evolutionary biology and socialization. (laughs) I suggest the thought you're not good at this, right? That's not how it comes out. Yeah. It just comes out in your own voice in your head and you're like, shit, that must be true. Yeah. Why else would I think it? Yeah. (laughs) Right? So what I teach is like you have to become aware of those thoughts and understand that just because you're thinking them doesn't mean they're true, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And moreover, they're definitely not useful. And so that's like the background. And then what I teach is how you change your thoughts, yeah. which is like a very step-by-step process. And it's not positive thinking, which I think a lot of people have heard of and tried, mm-hmm. right? But they're like, you hate yourself. Just try to love yourself. And you're like, okay, but like how? Yeah. Exactly. 
Yeah. What about all these thoughts I have about what's wrong with me? Right. And so I teach how to like do that in a very step-by-step way. I love that. And it's so powerful. And obviously you've changed so many people's lives. And when you change that person's life, you're changing everyone around them too. So like your ripple is massive, which is so awesome. So thank you for how you're showing up. But also, um, I, I'm curious if you can dive more into, cause obviously the whole concept of female empowerment and like, you know, go girl. And like that whole culture that's in our society, how do you actually take that from like us being able to be aware of the thoughts that are actually holding us back? Like the, I'm sorry when someone, I used to hate this when I was in the corporate world that like someone would apologize before they're giving something to their male boss or something. Mm. Like I'd love to talk about a little bit of like how socialization of females in the workplace can, um, impact us like holding ourselves back essentially yeah um a lot of questions so think, in that <laughs> yeah I was like, there's, all right so i'm gonna separate that into two questions yeah. one is how does socialization impact us in the workplace the other is how do we fix it yeah so in terms of socialization in the workplace yeah i think a lot of women experience very high levels of stress and anxiety at work mm-hmm. and they blame those on the job right so they think like because it's because my boss isn't supportive it's because it's really stressful it's because it's whatever And what I teach is that that's not true. It's because of your thoughts, right? Right. And so you have to learn to become aware of what your thought patterns are. And the things that I see holding women back the most at work, I would say, are people-pleasing. So being worried about... And the thing about this is that it can... Our brains are good at making these thoughts sound so reasonable, right? Your brain is like, well, of course you need to be concerned with what your boss thinks about you. Like, they're responsible for your advancement, right? Mm. Sounds totally reasonable, but it's really just people-pleasing, right? Being like, if you are consumed with anxiety about the thought that your boss might be upset with you, that's not like just a rational response to like the world of the workplace, right? That's a... That's your brain going crazy. Um, so I see women held back by a ton of anxiety about what other people think about them in the workplace mm-hmm. and kind of catastrophizing about, like my clients are always like, what if I get fired? And I'm like, yeah, what if you get fired? What are you going to do? And then the answer is always like, well, I might have worst case scenario, I have to sleep on my mom's couch and get another job, right? Yeah. Like for a lot of people, obviously there are some people who would end up homeless and that's, a whole, you know, but for a lot of people, you do have some backup options. You're just believing your brain that it's a crisis. Right. And then the second way I see women hold themselves back a lot is um, anxiety over their performance that leads to procrastination and to not taking on projects. Um, so there's just a lot of like avoidance and procrastination and not wanting to ask for more responsibility, not wanting to take the lead on things, like all of that kind of performance anxiety kind of. Yeah. Um, and in terms of how we solve it, I mean, it's a, everybody should listen to unfuck your brain. Yes. But I will give you like the main, like, I think the fastest, most actionable thing you can do, like the one thing you can try is a lot of what happens when you, if you're aware of the concept of maybe thinking differently is that you try to think something too far that you don't believe. Mm-hmm. So if your thought is like, if I screw up, I'm going to get fired and then die under the bridge, right? It's too far to go to, I'm amazing at this and the best in the business or like whatever kind of positive thought. So what I always say is like, we are going to practice a neutral thought that is not, it would not be on a Pinterest slogan or like <laughs> cross-stitched on Etsy. It's not, right? It's not like pretty and inspirational, but it will work. So that would be a thought like, I have gotten good feedback at this job before. Yeah. I know I have this. I have the skills of a good accountant, like whatever mm-hmm. your job is, right? But it's like in one, with body image, it's like not trying to go from 
my stomach is disgusting to like, I'm a beautiful goddess, right? It's going from my stomach is disgusting to that's a human stomach. Yeah. Right. So it's like finding a neutral thought, which is not going to sound inspirational and it's not going to feel amazing. It's not supposed to, it's supposed to feel slightly less bad. Yeah. Like that's where we'd go. We're trying to get to neutral or like slightly less bad. Mm-hmm. We're not trying to feel amazing yet. And then it's just practice. Like the other place I see people fall down is that not fall down, but like they try to, to change their thoughts. And number one, they're practicing a thought they can't believe. And number two, they're not practicing it nearly enough. They're like, well, I thought it once and it didn't change my whole thought pattern, right? And you have to understand how the brain works. Like a lot of us have heard that um, neurons that fire together, wire together thing, right? It means like your brain creates neural pathways. And it's just like if you always walk on a path through the woods to get somewhere and it's really well-worn, and then you try to walk a different path, number one, it's going to be like scratchy and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And number two, you can't just do it once. When you go back to the forest the next day, the old path is still going to be stronger because you only did the other one once, right? So you have yeah. to keep practicing thinking those new thoughts on purpose, like talk to yourself in your head like a crazy person. That's what you have to do. <laughs> yes. I love the realness of that too, of us, of kind of just like upgrading a little bit your thought rather than expecting yeah. that you're going to go from zero to a hundred. Right. That's just, right. because then you almost, I, I mean, I would think a lot of people feel, myself included, feel just kind of like, this is ridiculous. I'm not the best yet, but I am a little bit better than I was yesterday. And that's right. something that my brain can comprehend and move towards. And then I get to get right. that progress like right. that feeling of progress right, and right. confidence. Exactly. And to understand that like people be like, well, I've tried thinking this new thought, but I still believe the old one. And I'm like, yeah, you've been thinking the old one for 35 years. Of course you still believe it, right? Like, yeah. It's like being like, well, I tried to write with my left hand yesterday, but I'm still right-handed today. I'm like, yeah. Good one day. point. That's a like, really good example. Got to fucking practice, right? So I sort of feel like that's a lot of what I do is like encouragement and also like, you, you know, you got to do some work. This is not like... You don't have to. You can stay with your thoughts and feel miserable for the rest of your life. Or you can change your life, but like, yeah, you got to go to work. It's not just going to happen magically to you. And you can't get there by doing like, by trying it once. Yes. Preach. I love that. And obviously that's the work that you're doing on a regular basis with your podcast and with your coaching and everything that you're doing. So I would also love to hear, I know I'm just kind of like grab begging at you, but I'm thinking of the listeners because the listeners that could have access to you, they can on your podcast all the time and they can join, you know, your courses and whatnot. But I would love to hear about your body image journey. Right. Yeah. Of just kind of how you've started and like when you kind of identified it, that you wanted to go down a different path and how, where you're at now. So walk us yeah. through that. All right. Um, <laughs> once again, I was born in Baltimore. No. Um, so I know that's so open-ended. Is so long. Yeah. Um, I, I think that I had the classic experience a lot of people do, which is like you grow up learning to hate your body. Yeah. And then also, of course, you know, for women, a lot of what's happening, a lot of it is body image related specifically. And then a lot of it is just that women are taught that their bodies are like the, the site they can control. It's like the locus of their control. And so, which is first of all, not true, but so that's a place that people displace a lot of their, whatever emotional suffering of any kind onto. Right. So, you know, it's like when people say, I feel fat, it's like fat is not a feeling. What that means is you feel uncomfortable or you feel upset or you feel something. And because as a woman, you've been socialized to think your body is like the nexus everything goes through, like that's how you experience that Mm -hmm. feeling, right? Just like we know that people who take, there's like a a really wide range of disordered eating that we totally praise in our society, but occasionally people go too far, right? We call that anorexia or bulimia or whatever, 
And then, you know, we all recognize like, oh, that's not really just about food. That's about like thoughts and feelings and control. But that's true of the whole spectrum. It's not only true on the extremes. Yeah. So anyway, um, I've always had always been like on the curvy side, not actually that. Of course, I thought I was fat. I was not actually fat. Yeah. Um, and I was, I binged and purred. I discovered binging and purging in high school. I had a lot of feelings in high school. Many of us do. Mm. Uh, and I was like, this is a good solution. So that's what I did instead of like drinking or doing drugs or cutting or whatever people do to like numb out. Right. Yeah. And then I basically, you know, I did go to therapy. I did, like sent myself to therapy. <laughs> I like have worked with therapists and, you know, so it's not like I was not doing any work on these things, but I would yeah. say the habit got better after college, but never totally went away. And then it's actually totally hilarious. And I tell this story all the time that my teacher is actually started out as a weight loss coach and she still does a lot of weight loss coaching, although she has a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found her, like her weight loss program was the last weight lo- time I tried to lose weight before I discovered body positivity. But yeah. it, so it was like really hilarious because I was at the same time, I was like, oh, wait, this weight loss thing is bullshit. But these tools you're teaching about the brain are really useful. And when I combine those, it was like, I'm going to take that part of it and combine it with all of the kind of body yes. positivity work that I was doing. And I was like, well, this is fucking dynamite. <laughs> so, and I think it's such a testament to coaching that like, I've been on her podcast talking about body image. We totally disagree about weight loss, but we like love each other and are, yes. you know, work together work together very closely but you're um, but which, why it works too is you're so unapologetically you which is why i'm obsessed with right. your content because yeah. you're going to be so for some people they're going to be like car like they're in trader joe's like just throwing their peppers like <laughs> car i love her and some people are gonna be like i'm not really sure if i agree with her and to each their right. own like I, sorry yeah, i didn't so, mean to interrupt yeah but I love she that. and i are both like that right yeah. we're both just like this is what i believe yep. you're totally allowed to believe what you believe i love you for who you are yes. like anyway love that so yeah. So that was kind of the turning point for me, I would say. And I stopped dieting and I um, totally gained weight. And I, of course, because I'd been artificially keeping it low by binging and purging. Yeah. And then I used thought work to like, meaning I like changed my thoughts about my body. And I would say of all the thought work I've done, that was the most like painstaking daily grind yeah. because it's so ingrained. And most women, I don't, I don't know if they've done studies. I don't know what the number is, but I feel like most women have like a hundred at least thoughts a day about their bodies and what they've eaten. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so that was like, there have been things in my life that I, in my thought work that I've been able to change with like working on it for a few weeks, you know, (laughs) this was like so many times a day, every day for months. And, but it did work, but it took a lot of time and effort. Um, and I would say now where I am is, it's interesting. Like I, my teacher and I kind of call it sometimes like post-restriction trauma syndrome. It's like you're, when you've been trying to diet for so long, it's, you have to go through this phase where you just allow everything because you're not ready to even make any changes. So it took me several years before I was ready to be like, okay, maybe I feel ready to pay attention to like what food feels good in my body or not. But like, even that immediately can like bring up all of so many shoulds and shame for people. So it's like, can be a very long process. But I would say where I am now is like, I, um, it's not even about, it is about loving my body at this size, but it's more like loving my body in general, right? Understanding that like, if I got, you know, like it, maybe I, in the future I might gain weight, maybe I might lose weight and then I would have to like do the work on whatever else, right? I mean, you see a lot of people like, and my, you know, 
I talk about this with all my, <laughs> so many friends are weight loss coaches because of where I train. <laughs> but so like, of course they see it. And the reason that that works is like, they all focus on the mental, emotional part too, like yeah. I do, right? And they totally see with their clients that they lose weight and then they like start drinking if they haven't dealt with their mind and right, if they yeah. haven't dealt with the whole reasons, they're just going to look for something else, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're like, then all of a sudden they hate themselves because they have loose skin and then you got to do the body image work on that, yeah. right? There's like no... It's like, I think the biggest fallacy that people don't understand is they think, because we're taught that confidence or love or acceptance comes from outside things, we think that we can like hate our body down to a certain weight. Yeah. And then when we hit the scale, we'll feel differently. And it's just like me being like, well, I don't know, I've hated myself this whole time, but I'm sure when I get this job, it will all magically change. Yeah. Right? That's not what happens. The destination is going to feel like the journey did. And so- Mm-hmm. You're tr- if you are training your brain to reject your body and to find flaws in it, it's not going to stop doing that when you get to the number on the scale, right? Now right. you've created a mental habit. And mm-hmm. so now your brain's just going to be like, oh, I guess that number wasn't enough. It has to be less. Or now I have to get plastic surgery. Or now I have to worry about my cellulite or whatever else. Yeah. Right? None of that shit is caused by what your body actually looks like. It's caused by your mental habits. And until you change those, nothing you can do to change your body is going to make a difference. Well, and it just made me think of like when you get there, if what you did to get there was so negative and so self-deprecating mm-hmm. that you got there, you look back and you're like, there's no way in hell I can do that again. So maybe you just hate yourself more when that's not serving right. anyone. Right. Right. Totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You can't hate yourself to love. Yeah. Right. Like you can't, people try to do it in dating. They try to do it in their profession, whatever else. You can't drive yourself with anxiety, fear, and rejection and expect to experience positive emotion when you get to the goal. Yeah. So you have to love yourself now. Yeah. That's so powerful. Did, so that work that you were talking about, obviously that was so difficult. And of course it's going to be a constant journey as we're all constantly working on this, but did it start from that, like kind of upgrading or like creating those neutral thoughts? Is that what you did? Yes. I walked around. (laughs) It's just, I love like other life coaches, clients, slogans are like, everyone can do everything, whatever. And mine are like, I'm like a Jew from New York. (laughs) Is there a minor, like all beings suffer, but like, that's what, But that's because a lot of us have this, we see, especially me as someone who always was, I was smaller, but like still on the curvy side, right? And I live in Manhattan, which is, you know, full of literal models. So I used to walk around the city and when when I started doing this thought work, I noticed that every time I saw a thin woman, I would feel jealousy and envy and believe that her life was perfect. She could be crying on the street, like drunk in a fight with her boyfriend, which happens all the time in this village where I live. Yes. Right? But my brain would still be like, but she's thin. I'd be like, she's literally sobbing in front of you. Like, obviously she's not, right? And so one of the the thought habits that I had to break was the habit of believing that people who looked a certain way were happy because they looked, they had a better life, right? And so the thought that I used, I had, I used the thought all being suffer. Yeah. And so I walked around New York for an entire summer and every time I saw a thin woman, which was every 37 seconds in New York, <laughs> I would think to myself, all beings suffer. Yeah. My clients sometimes, sometimes now we use even Beyonce gets cheated on, right? but it's like, <laughs> oh because the point is like, yeah. we think like if I looked like that, my life would be perfect. Right. 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 Or it's if like, I had no, that much money matter. or if I had right. that same or if I had right. insert literally I whatever. Doing, yeah. When I was doing the work, it was, this was like five years ago, it was before the Beyonce thing, I think it was, but there was somebody who was in the news that summer, like Christy Brinkley or some famous supermodel's husband had like gotten caught cheating on her, spending all her money or something, right? Right. And it was like the same thing, right? It was like, 
your brain tells you that if you looked like that, you would be happy all the time and your life would be perfect. Yeah. But there's so much evidence around you that that's not true. People do this with money all the time also. Yep. Like, do you know any unhappy rich people? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. If you know any rich people, you know some unhappy rich people. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. But we're all like, but if I had that money, I wouldn't be, un- I would be perfectly happy. I'm like, No, it doesn't make a difference. Right? We are all humans and we're all going to have negative emotion 50% of the time. Like, however much money there is, however much adipose tissue is on our body, like whatever it is. And so much of our suffering comes from thinking that shouldn't be the case, that we should be happy all the time. Yeah. And that's something has gone wrong if we're not. I I think that is so powerful right there because I do feel like t- to use myself as an example. Yeah. I feel like I'm a naturally pretty optimistic person, but I'm also looking for things to contribute to that, right? Mm-hmm. Constantly where I'm like, oh, of course life is rigged in my favor. It's raining on a day that I had a ton of work to do. Like literally <laughs> right. I've trained my brain over time to right. kind of think like that. But that being said, to the person listening to this and honestly, just to get your opinion on this myself, how do you help people feel comfortable with not feeling happy because I do believe that it's okay. And I think in life we do need contrast. That's the full human experience. But so often it's like, oh, you're not happy. So something's wrong with you. But that's, can you just talk about your kind of opinion on that in general? Yeah. I mean, I think that honestly, just part of it is changing that thought. It's a thought to think like I should be happy all the time. Those people are happy all the time or like, this is what's going on. So the first like, the first part of that release is like accepting nothing's gone wrong. Yeah. I'm supposed to be having negative emotion. And even that is like, you stop resisting it. Mm-hmm. That is work. It takes work because you have to understand that your primitive brain again is like avoid pain, seek pleasure. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's, it thinks if you feel bad, you might be dying. Right. Yeah. And like, then that's bad. So now we got to get some pleasure, get some food. Right. It's just your primitive brain. It's like death, food, sex. That's it. Yeah. Right. Always <laughs> wants pleasure and wants to avoid pain. Yeah, And so part of it is like by con- working on consciously accepting negative emotion over and over, you like eventually teach the lizard brain that it doesn't mean you're dying, mm-hmm. right? It's like not, we don't have to freak out. Yep. We don't have to go find some pleasure to numb out. Like yeah. it's okay. It's okay to feel this way. Part, a lot of our suffering I find, especially because I work with generally kind of smart, self-critical women. So yep. Um, a lot of the suffering comes from just judging our own emotion. Like I shouldn't feel this way or I should whatever, mm-hmm. right? There's all that resistance. That's one thing. And then I think the second thing is understanding like the clients I have who have a really hard time with allowing negative emotion and learning how to do that. I think that part of what is going on is that their idea about what it will mean to feel negative emotion is feeling how horrible it feels when you resist it, which is what they've been doing for their whole life. So they've been always resisting feeling negative emotion, trying to fight it off, freaking out about it, right? Like making it mean something terrible has happened. Mm -hmm. And so let's say that means like you're feeling negative feelings at a negative 10, right? Okay. Like making up a scale. But let's say it's like negative 10 units of horribleness is what that feels like. (laughs) Yeah. When I tell them we're going to learn to allow negative emotion, they think what that means is I'm going to feel negative 10 units of horribleness all the time. And what they don't Mm. understand is if seven of those units are from freaking out about the emotion and resisting it. Yeah. Right? So it's like they don't even know what it would feel like to allow negative emotion. All they've ever experienced is resisting it and freaking out about it. So we have to work with a really baby step thought of like, it's possible that I don't even know what it would feel like to allow negative emotion. Like you just think about something that like hurts a lot more when you tense up. Yeah. Right. Like 
getting a medical procedure or like falling, like in Taekwondo, they teach you to fall without tensing your muscles, right? right. Or even like sex, right? There's, there are like conditions where people get freaked out about sex and then the freaking out is what makes the muscles tight and makes it hurt, right? Yeah. And so it's like, you have to learn to practice thinking like, it's possible that if I don't fight this emotion, it's actually not going to feel that bad. Yeah. Right? So when I tell myself I'm going to learn to feel negative emotion, it doesn't mean that I have to feel negative 10 all the time. It might actually only feel like negative three if I'm not fighting it off, right? If I'm not like, ah, about it. Right. So, so does that make sense? It's yeah, just build, building that podcast, muscle. Um, no, I love it. But like building yeah. that muscle of just being able to question your own beliefs too. Right. Yeah, and and like, understanding that like what you've been feeling is not negative emotion. What yeah. you've been feeling is the suffering of freaking out about negative emotion. Yeah. Right. It, so it's like if you had a headache and every time you had a headache, you were like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Right. And then you freak <laughs> yourself out. Yeah. And I, and I was like, listen, humans are going to have headaches 50% of the time. And you were like, that means I'll have to think I'm dying 50% of the time. And I'm like, no, no, that part we can get rid of actually. Yeah. So we're just going to have the headache without the freaking out part. That's mm-hmm. what we're going to have 50% of the time. It's like, oh, that's no big deal. If I wasn't freaking out all the time, it's just a headache. Ooh, you are your brain, girl. I love it. <laughs> that was my very non-technical way to say, like, I love the work that you're doing. Seriously. Um, okay. So uh, one more question before I move yeah. to the final two questions is yeah. because you do work with a lot of really critical, you know, or women that are critical of themselves that are maybe yeah. even like high achievers or ambitious yeah. women. I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts about the person who feels guilty for mm-hmm. wanting more because she's saying statements like, well, I should be happy because I have X, Y, Z. Um, and then she's literally being critical about herself for that. Cause I run into that with people where it's like, life is good. So like, you know, really I should just be happy. There's people that are starving, right? Like what are your right. thoughts about the woman that has that type of framework? Well, I think that mistakes what causes happiness, right? There are people who have way less money and resources than you who are happier than you. Yeah. And there's people who have way more who are unhappier than you. Yeah. Right. It has nothing to do with that. So it's like, you have to separate how you're going to feel from whatever you want to achieve in life and why. And I think I think something a lot of high achievers, and when I say high achievers, I don't mean like you had to go to a fancy school. I just yeah. mean like you you drive yourself to move forward in life and you use anxiety to do that, right? So a lot of those kinds of achievers, people who are used to driving themselves with anxiety, they actually like don't even understand why they would do something if they weren't trying to like run away from their own self-criticism. Right. Interesting. Like, yeah. Like I get a lot of like, but if I stop yelling at myself, like why would I ever achieve anything? Right. Wow. And so I'm always like, yeah, that's a good question. We're going to find out. <laughs> right? Like I don't think that humans really are just made, like most of us actually don't want to sleep on the couch forever. Now, if you've been like screaming at yourself for 30 years, you might want to sleep on the couch for like a few months, Yeah. but eventually you're going to want to go do something again. And that's what we're going to figure out. So that person is like, oh, I shouldn't want more. They're like, they have the wrong idea about why they want more, right? And so then they're making it like a moral thing. And I think they're also trying to, I call it like, um, what do I call this? I have have a cute name for it. Now I've forgotten it. But it's like, it's like spackling over a rotted drywall or something, right? It's like you try to put Mm -hmm. gratitude over negative thoughts and feelings. So, right, that person, that woman, basically her, her problem is twofold. Number one, Often she's unhappy and she thinks if she gets something else, she'll be happy. Yep. Right. But then she's also 
like trying to spackle gratitude over it and pretend to be grateful because she thinks that like makes her a better person. So she's just, she's got her own happiness and morality, like all wrapped up in her ideas about what to do with her life. And those are like really three separate things that we have to disentangle. Yeah. That's really powerful to be able to pop the hood on that and kind of separate it out like that where it's like, I mean, and my guess just based off of your work is that you would have them tackle one thing first and kind of build from there. Right. You always have to deal with the self-judgment first. If you're judging your own thoughts, you have to deal with that first. And people want to run, do an end run around that. They're like, I'm scared of my judgment thoughts. So I just want to change my underlying thought and then I'll never have the judgment thought will go away. Right. Like if I judge myself for wanting more, I just want to change the wanting more part. So I don't have to look at the judging part. I'm like, no, we gotta, it's like layers of sediment. We got to go down from the top. We can't like skip that part. You always have to work on the part where you're judging yourself and your own thoughts. You got to deal with that first. Then we'll see what's underneath. Do you feel like there's a lot of women that struggle with wanting those external things that maybe they, or thinking that they want those external things because society is telling them to like, how can I have the career and the job or, and the kids and all of that stuff? Do you talk with women about that often? Oh my God. Yeah. All the time. And I think a big part of the work is figuring out what you really want. Yeah. And what I find is like most people want to like create something in the world and feel like they're doing something meaningful. I think that that's kind of for a lot of us pretty, I don't, you know, it's evolution, whatever it's hardwired. Like I do think that that's, that we want that. I find where it can be, but there are ways I think where society comes in is thinking like only certain ways of doing that are okay. Or that's like what your family taught you or whatever. Right. Right. And then there are people, there are, but it goes both ways. Like this is the thing about being a woman in a patriarchal society is like, you can't win. Right. Like if you want to stay home with your kids, then you feel bad that you're not professional enough. And if you want to have a career, then you feel bad that you don't want to stay home with your kids. And if you don't want kids and everybody says you should want kids, if you do want kids, right. It's just like, so you have to like, you got to parse through all that stuff to figure out like, what you really want. And I think with marriage, that's, it's fascinating actually with kid. I would say that I find that most women who think they want a career really do in the end, it might be a different one, but they want to work. Yeah. And most women who think they want kids do actually want kids. The place that I think is less so is a lot of women's reasons for wanting certain kinds of romantic relationships are really about social validation. And that's the one I often see yeah. become less salient for them over time it's like that one was the one that was the most driven by I just want to feel normal and feel accepted like all these things that we think having a partner will give us I want everybody else to think I'm normal and good enough and that when we clear up all of that I think often some women find that they don't either they're not as interested in prioritizing a relationship as they would or like the format of it is not as important you know it doesn't have to be this exact thing with this exact kind of person or whatever right so you would, so still it would be kind of the figuring out how you're judging yourself, which is the framework that you would yeah. figure out. And then it's almost like the next layer from that is what you actually want because you really worked on how you judge yourself about said what you want. I think want. there's a third layer. It's yeah. you're judging yourself mm-hmm. and then we got to, we got to take that out first. Then we got to look at the thoughts you have about what you want and see like, if you're not, you know, Brene Brown calls it like hustling for your worthiness. Yeah. If you weren't, if society hadn't told you this and you weren't trying to get this thing so you could like think a nice thought about yourself, would you still want it? That's how we get to it. But that's a multi-step process. Like yeah. a lot of, I think the most uncomfortable part for my clients in the beginning often is they're like, but I don't know what I want. And it's hard for them to trust me that like, we're going to be able to figure it out. But right now we can't. 
right? And so like you have to be willing to, you know, like looking at all your thoughts and being like, I don't know if these are true or if I'm going to keep believing them or like maybe, I mean, it's incredibly liberating and powerful, but it can also be scary. You're like, I don't know what to believe right now. Like, how do I know who I even am? You have to be willing to live in that discomfort. Yes. Oh, that's so good. And that is going to be so powerful too. I mean, those are questions that I get all the time from the podcast audience. So thank you for addressing that. Yeah, of course. So, um, Final two questions before we kind of get yes. get your full rundown is um, to the woman who feels stuck, how mm-hmm. would you tell her or even what do you do for yourself to kind of yeah. get unstuck feeling? You feel stuck because you're just thinking your same thoughts over and over again yeah. and they're not getting you anywhere. So if you want to get unstuck, you got to do thought work. You have to figure out what are you thinking? Yep. Look at those thoughts. See if you want to keep them. See what you want to think instead. Like I think a lot of people come to my work because they feel stuck. Yeah. And I, you don't work directly on feeling stuck because that's really just a word for, I keep having the same set of thoughts that are not letting me take any different actions or feel any differently. So good. And so we like got to work on all the parts. Love that. So we also have a Spotify playlist for this podcast. (laughs) So do you want to give us (laughs) one of your jams that is like a a good pump up song for you? People have said all across the board. This playlist is very (laughs) random. Beethoven's ninth. No, um, (laughs) I mean, you do. I would would say these days I've been listening to Lizzo as I'm sure many people have. And um, she has one. What is the name of it? But it's, not juice, the other one, but it's basically like, um, I could look it up if you want. <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's so fun to have this podcast playlist because it's like, it goes from like Taylor Swift to Beyonce to like stuff that I've right. literally never even heard of to like, this is definitely one where I'm like, Oh, I should have been prepared for this question. Oh where no, no, you're good. We can, we, uh, we can put Lizzo on there and then please let us know wh- why you're finding that. Um, <laughs> let us know for, all of the women that are going to be obsessed with you. Cause I know so many people are going to love your vibe. Um, where do we find you? How do we connect with oh, you? It's tempo Lizzo tempo. Lizzo tempo. Okay, cool. Yeah, tempo, is, tempo is the song featuring Missy Elliott. It's all about the, the refrain is basically something like I'm a thick girl. I need tempo. Like, yes. No okay, good. So good. That's a good um, pump up. Game. So good. So, yeah. Um, so where can people find me? Yes. So my podcast is called unfuck your brain. Yep. You can find that wherever you find podcasts. And then um, the best way to like dive into this work, if what I'm saying has resonated with you, is The Clutch, which is an online feminist coaching community that I've created. And basically, I believe really strongly that, you know, yes, it's great for me to be able to work one-on-one with people, but that's, you know, a very finite resource. And actually, I don't even work one-on-one, but I can work with small groups. But I believe really strongly that... um, you know, I come to this work as a feminist and that part of feminism is empowering women to liberate themselves. And so in the clutch, we teach you how to coach yourself and how to kind of help and coach everyone else in the group. So you're mm-hmm. all kind of learning how to support and coach each other. And that is what kind of spreads. So that's yeah. my vision for the, for a movement is that I want every woman in the world to understand what's happening in her own brain and how to, take control of it because we spend a lot of time talking about political solutions to Mm -hmm. gender inequality. And I was, you know, I was in that world for 10 years. It's important. But one of the most insidious things about any kind of oppression is that the people who are marginalized internalize it and experience it as an internal experience, right? And they start to, they doubt themselves. This is just like why the joke is what would a mediocre white man do, right? Because like he yeah. doesn't have your internalized- So good. Criticism, Whoa. right? Yeah. And so we have to liberate our minds 
in order to change anything outside of us or to feel any differently if anything has changed. So the clutch is where we do that work. I call it the feminist mindset revolution. Mm-hmm. And that's what people should check out. It's just unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. And I'm sure we'll put it in the show notes also. Yes, of course. And I also love the name of it. And I love the concept of when you're <laughs> teaching someone else principles that you're learning in that type of setting, you're putting it in your brain so much more. So that's really powerful. Exactly. Yeah, totally. And then any last piece, I don't like to say like a golden nugget or your best piece of advice because I feel like that's a lot of pressure but any last little tidbit you want to leave the listener with I think like you would be humans tend to underestimate they humans overestimate what they can get done in short periods of time like we've all made a to-do list for a day or a week that's like there's no way that's all getting (laughs) done right but we really underestimate what we can do in longer periods of time you can change your life so dramatically beyond your wildest dreams in so much less time than you think. Like yeah. my whole life is different from five years ago. And it was very different after one year and even more different after three. And like, I can't wait to see what it'll be like in 10 years. I probably won't even recognize myself. But like, I hear women all the time who are 30, 40, 50, 60, even being like, well, it's too late. Like now this is my life. And I'm like, no, it's never fucking just your life. There's always time. And if you are willing to put in the daily practice, you can just change your whole experience of the world so much faster than you think. Oh, Cara, I love, I just love the way that you teach, the style that you teach in. And I can see why it's made such a massive impact on so many people, myself included. And for the listeners, thank you so, so much for being on the show today. I appreciate you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode, I would so appreciate it if you share with your girlfriends or better yet, post it on Instagram stories and tag me. Then I can personally say thank you for helping me get this message out there. And if you didn't vibe with it, just keep that to yourself. I'm kind of new here. Still trying to figure it all out. Talk to you soon, girl.